the Responsible Investing Podcast by Aberdeen Standard Investments. Welcome to the Aberdeen Standard Investments Responsible Investing Podcast. I am Amanda Young, your host today. Now, during this podcast, we aim to cover a range of responsible investment and sustainability topics from a diverse group of guests. Today, I am joined by my lovely colleague, Rosie French, who is our ESG analyst on the European equity team. Rosie, it's a delight to have you with us today. Thank you for your time. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Now, before starting her career, Rosie studied European studies at Trinity College Dublin, covering a mix of history, politics and languages. Now, she tells me she adores Dublin for its amazing people, who she says are incredibly kind hearted and fun. But the other thing she loved about Dublin was being by the sea so she could go swimming or sailing with only a 20 minute ride from the city centre. So Rosie has a real love for the sea, so living in London poses some challenges in this regard. Nevertheless, it hasn't stopped her from participating in a range of wild swimming activities in London, including the cleaner parts of the Thames and the Serpentine in Hyde Park. Now, this amuses her colleagues, who she says thinks she's a bit mad. Another interesting fact about Rosie is she's a triplet, which is a rare thing, and her brother and sister are a huge part of her life. Now, Rosie is my youngest guest so far on this podcast series, so I'm hoping she will be able to provide a unique and fresh perspective from the millennial generation on all things responsible investment. So perhaps we can begin with how, Rosie, you came to being an ESG analyst, and it might be good also just to touch on what changes you've seen in the industry since you've joined. Thanks, Amanda. So I think in terms of how I've got to, to this position as an ESG analyst at Aberdeen Standard Investments, it's certainly probably not where I thought I would be. If I, I look back to, to kind of myself at university <laughs> about five or six years ago, um, mm. and I think that's because I wasn't particularly aware of, of what ESG was within the asset management industry. So I think, first of all, it's worth explaining just how I came to an asset management firm, which was really a result of being at university, trying to work out what I wanted to do with my life um, once I'd got, got my, um, my degree. And I did a variety of work experience, um, one of which was, was supporting an equity analyst at a boutique asset management firm for a couple of weeks. And I, I loved the role. I found it fascinating um, the way that equity analysts really just learn about the world every day. You're learning about new new topics and um, new products and and what makes the world tick um today so this kind of mm. led me to to thinking about a career in asset management um i then joined aberdeen standard investments on a graduate program and i was really lucky to be a part of this so we moved around the business every four months so my my first rotation was with product development and this is really where i gained my first insight into what what ESG was. Um, the, the team at the time was looking into developing a new range of, of products on the kind of ESG and SRI, so exclusionary side. Um, and so I started doing a lot of work into what ESG was, what it meant for asset management firms and, and the various types of products that were there. And I suppose for me, you know, this area really piqued my interest because as a millennial, um, I think we do tend to have a greater 
interest in in environmental and social social issues ongoing and, and wanting to try and align our work a bit more with that so so the ability to potentially use the power of capital and and push it behind companies that are doing something good or operating in a in a strong sustainable manner and um, was was really interesting i then um on other rotations actually worked with the esg team for four months um i kind of asked to work with them and then mm-hmm. also did a marketing rotation where I was focused on on helping develop a bit of a marketing strategy for Aberdeen Standard Investments around all the good work that that we were doing internally on it. So um, when a role came up with the European Equities Desk as an ESG analyst, it was a no-brainer, really. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I'm very happy I ended up here. I think that's brilliant. And, and you've already touched on your generation. I think sustainability issues are ingrained into your psyche in a way that they weren't perhaps in previous generations. Um, Being a member of certain activist organization was certainly seen as rather radical in my day, for instance, Um, but now seen as far more acceptable as a means of achieving change. Now, I believe your sister uh, was involved in a Friends of the Earth project for a bit. Are you able to tell us a little bit about this? Yes, sure. And I I think really it just um, hopefully will kind of emphasize the fact that I think a lot of people of of my generation really are um, hoping to align their values with with their work and their role and and not separating the two as perhaps it might have been more um, siloed in in the past. But really, she was um, helping to run a project called Own It for Friends of the Earth. And this is a project which is seeking not only to educate women about finance, which I think is something that that Mm -hmm. probably needs evolution in the future, but also about how um, women can align their finances to to climate action. So, um, you know, your finances might be your everyday spending on your groceries or your clothes or who you bank with and also um, where you invest and what you're investing in. So for this project, um, we set up a small group and we met every month to discuss these issues and what actions we could take in our lives to try and make some sort of change. Um, And actually, you know, all of us, I think, did change something in the end. For example, supplier to a renewable energy contract or offsetting your traveling emissions. Um, emissions. But I think what was really stark was the fact that out of four four of the five of us involved in the project actually were already in jobs where sustainability was aligned to what they were doing. So one of my friends works mm. for the Fashion Council in Paris and is really pushing sustainability mm-hmm. within the fashion um, industry there. Another friend has actually just set up wow. her own carbon offsetting business. Um, so very, very proud of her. And finally, one of my um, other friends actually works for Project Everyone, which is um, the charity that Richard Curtis established and that's a charity Mm -hmm. really using to aim media to push um, the sustainable development goals and and, and their agenda around the world. So I I think for me the project has really highlighted that A, people of my generation do want to try and align their their values with their careers. Um, I think sustainability therefore for companies if you're looking at it from an investment perspective can actually be a key way of recruiting and retaining key talent i think that's something that's really changing at the moment and um i think finally it also just showed that there's a real opportunity for us at asset management firms if we can produce the right kind of products and funds to allow people to Mm -hmm. invest sustainably i think you know the growth drivers are only going to increase I think that's absolutely brilliant and it's fantastic to bring that perspective in. Now, working for the European equity team, you are certainly also focused on a region 
which is known as leading when it comes to sustainability issues. Are you able to tell us a little bit about the differences you see between European companies and the rest of the world? Of course, I think a lot of people within the company have more expertise on on different regions, but certainly I, I guess I can try and give a bit of colour around why I think European companies really are leading on this. And I think really it comes from their focus on sustainability and very much trying to integrate sustainability into their business models and how that impacts their, their business strategy, for example. There obviously will be anomalies in different parts of the world, but um, if you look at for example, MSCI ESG data, you can see that the average score for Europe is is seven out of 10, whereas for the US, it sits at five and mm. then in emerging markets, it's 3.5. So, so there is the empirical data that kind of would um, support the, the fact that Europe is leading or European companies are leading on ESG. But I guess I'm um, yeah. trying to give a bit more color on what that might, might mean in practice really is I think firstly, there's a lot of European companies that are, are very strong on managing their non-financial risks. And I think this is one way of thinking about a kind of sustainability leader. And then there's also other companies that are producing products or services that are solving or addressing a sustainability topic. Um, so to try and give maybe a little bit more color on, on kind of what a, a leader on integrating sustainability into their business model might look like, I think, um, making sure that sustainability is a core part of their business strategy. So for an oil and gas company, yeah. for example, you know, including energy transition targets within their their business strategy or carbon emissions targets um, for or for a European clothing retailer to very much have a, you know, a key KPI on the amount of clothing that they'll sell that will be sustainable, for example. So it's it's very much a driver of growth for for the companies. Um, I think other kind of aspects that you see in Europe a lot are, are that management teams are taking responsibility for sustainability. So it's it's less and less um, left to a sustainability team or, or a separate part of the business, but management and are taking responsibility and we're seeing their, them being remunerated on performance on, on some of the key ESG targets that they're setting for, for their businesses. Yeah. Um, I think just maybe two other kind of points to highlight for, for European companies and why they're leading, I think, is mm -hmm. they're very strong on disclosure. And I think disclosure is a key part of, of driving a company to actually understand the sustainability issues within its business, to gather that underlying data and to therefore have the metrics available to see which direction you know, the trends are going, so be that on carbon emissions, employee turnover, health mm -hmm. and safety metric. And by disclosing this, it enables us as stakeholders, as investors to really understand how companies are, what risks company are facing and, and how they're managing it. Um, and, and finally, there's a lot of regulation um, that's forcing companies to actually address yeah. the underlying sustainability issues. So be that climate change with European companies being ambitious on assessing the physical and transition risks, setting science-based targets, looking to set to achieve net zero by 2050, or on the employee yeah. side, looking at employee turnover stats, carrying out employee engagement surveys and and how they can, you know, improve health and well-being and benefits to try and address, you know, an increase in turnover, for example. So I think really it just goes to show there's a, a lot of companies doing a lot on this topic and it's driven by the mm -hmm. EU ambition on topics like climate change, 
the amount of regulation you know, forcing companies to to improve their disclosure on non-financial risks. And also from the financial benefits, I think, that you see in Europe. So European consumers increasingly want sustainable products. We've seen demand for sustainable yeah. clothing went up by 20% in the first half of this year, according to a retailer uh -huh. we, we spoke to recently. Um, you know, predictions for biofuels are for five times the amount of growth by 2030 and plant-based proteins are, are far outgrowing meat categories. So there's there's real financial incentives as well for these companies to to be so forward thinking and, and um, leading in sustainability. I think that's a really good point and it, it touches on products more broadly, but financial products. So I'd really get, I'm keen to get your view on perhaps the different level of expectations from investors in Europe. You've already touched on the fact that consumers are looking for for more of these um, products in, in their everyday purchasing decisions. But perhaps we can touch a little bit on financial uh, products and, and what investors in Europe are looking for. Yes, yeah, so I think this probably varies a little bit region by region, but I would say that when you look at the ESG flows um, in Europe, they historically have been much higher than elsewhere in the world. I think now other regions are catching up on this, um, but there's still very much a kind of a leading um, percentage of European investors invested in ESG type strategies. Um, and then when you look across the different markets, I think in the Nordics, you see slightly more um, mature approach. They're really going beyond exclusionary type products and, and really looking for impact investing where you can have a measurable environmental and, and social benefit. And then other markets um, like France, for example, which is more focused on, on SRI, um, looking for so best in class ESG strategies. So with ESG leaders and maybe excluding areas like, like tobacco. But I, I suppose what's positive in Europe is that you have available to to actually be able to fill portfolios and, and products with companies that can meet all these different types of demands. Now, one of the biggest topics of the moment is climate change. Um, you know, you, you've mentioned it a couple of times. I'm quite keen actually to focus on another issue that I feel is gaining a lot of traction, particularly in Europe at the moment, and that's the issue of diversity and inclusion. Now, I know your team has been really focused on this at the moment as a team. Are you able to tell us a little bit about what it is you are doing um, as well as how that maybe feeds into your investment thinking. Yes, of course. So I think um, the reason that we've become more focused on this was that um, Equities as a division actually held a forum earlier on in the year on diversity and inclusion. And this was following both an increased internal push from Aberdeen Standard Investments on, you know, our approach to diversity and inclusion within the business and externally. Um, and then, of course, the anti-racist protests that we've seen in the US after the death of, of George Floyd. So um, I think first it's worth highlighting that we we already think about diversity and inclusion within our analysis of companies and our engagement. But really, historically, we've probably focused on gender diversity and diversity of variance or skill set. And this is particularly at a management team level or supervisory board level. I suppose the rationale to that being that, you know, diverse and inclusive environments tend to have good challenge of management teams um, and of the strategy, diversity of thought, and, and therefore should drive a better long-term strategy and a better business long-term. And I think also, um, you know, diversity and inclusion is key for companies in terms of being able to recruit and retain good talent and also to be able to reflect their customer base um, globally and hopefully enhance their, their sales. 
So it is a very business relevant topic. But I think we haven't really specifically looked at ethnicity before. And that's really what's come to the fore from, yeah. from a lot of the protests this year. Um, and we recognize this and, and would like to develop a, a bit more of a framework or a policy for, for our team in Europe on how we should engage with companies on this and, and what we should encourage as best practice. Um, so we've actually been speaking to a real proponent of ethnic diversity. It's called Nels Abbey. And he spoke to us at this equities forum and, and it was a fascinating discussion and, and really thought provoking. And he's written a, um, a book called Think Like a White Man, a satirical guide to conquering the world, um, which is, is basically a comic way of highlighting the challenges and obstacles of black people um, within the corporate world and, and the in the workplace at the moment. And he's also working to develop a, a disclosure framework that would encourage companies to disclose their ec ethnic diversity and also ethnic pay gap. And the aim of this is really, you know, again, using disclosure to encourage companies to both understand the position of their, their business and where their employee um, base sits in terms of the data and then also eventually to encourage positive change that better reflects the their national or local um, representation. Um, so we've definitely been thinking about how we might be able to include this, but actually in Europe, it's a bit more challenging where you have specific laws and regions that might prevent. So in France, for example, you actually can't um, gather ethnicity data. So yeah. We're, yeah. we're definitely trying to think about it, <laughs> but we think that ultimately if we can, you know, include this within our conversations on, on governance and, and human capital, for example, that we can encourage better businesses long term. Now, I always ask my guests to share um, with our listeners either a book, a TV program or a film that has inspired them or made them think um, on topics related to sustainability. Do you have anything you'd like to share with us? Yeah, so I think um, based on what we've just been talking about around um, diversity and inclusion, one of the recommendations at the end of the the forum um, from Nels Abbey was why I'm no longer talking to white people about race by Rennie Edo Lodge. And um, this was, again, a really thought provoking book and it makes you think about race in a new way. Um, so I actually am lucky enough currently to be living in Notting Hill and the book even highlighted many elements of black history in the area that I've never really known about. So such as the violence of the group called the Teddies Boys in the 1950s um, against yeah. West Indians in the area. And, you know, it just wasn't something that I was aware of or that we'd ever been taught about in school and also kind of touches on topics such as white privilege and, and how you get to where you are in society and yeah, really recommend it. A very, very good, good read. Well, thank you for that. Um, now, sadly, we're nearing the time, the end of our time together. Um, maybe there are some final short thoughts you'd like to share with us, such as what you think the future holds in the responsible investment space. I think there's probably two key areas on what I think might happen in the future. I think the first is that we'll just continue to see growth in this area for, for responsible investment, um, but maybe to the extent that it becomes the mainstream and responsible investment doesn't have to be a, a different product area, but it's it's just the norm. And then I guess a, another thought is really that um, my role probably won't 
exist as an ESG analyst in the future, that if, if we're doing it right, environmental social governance factors, the analysis of these factors, the integration of those into our investment research and our portfolio decisions will be one and the same. So um, I might be putting myself out of a job, but I think that's probably the direction <laughs> I, of travel. I doubt it. Uh, but thank you so much, Rosie. Now that ends our discussion for today. Um, it has been an absolute pleasure to have you with us sharing your perspective on the responsible investment industry. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you to all those who have taken time to listen to our series. Please do download our previous podcasts, which you can find on our website. And until our next podcast, goodbye for now. Thank you for listening to the Responsible Investing Podcast, brought to you by Aberdeen Standard Investments. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And for more great content, visit AberdeenStandard.com. This podcast is provided for general information only and assumes a certain level of knowledge of financial markets. It is provided for information purposes only and should not be considered as an offer, investment recommendation or solicitation to deal in any of the investments or products mentioned herein and does not constitute investment research. The views in this podcast are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily reflect those of Aberdeen Standard Investments. The value of investments and the income from them can go down as well as up, and investors may get back less than the amount invested. Past performance is not a guide to future returns. Return projections are estimates and provide no guarantee of future results.